Good morning. Uh, for any of you following our, uh, our blog, you would have read this week, uh, I was writing about that experience that I sort of called the autopilot that scares me from time to time where I'll, I'll be driving along uh, a road and um, I'm, I've arrived at my destination, but I have no recollection of what just happened over the last 20 minutes or hour. That I know I drove, I know the road, but I honestly can't remember actually getting there. I, I changed the lanes, avoided whatever traffic there was. I stopped at a light. I made a turn. And suddenly I'm there and I'm thinking, I don't know, I've been somewhere else for the last half an hour. I was on autopilot. Sometimes that happens where you end up driving someplace you weren't planning on driving, but you ended up taking the same path that you always do, so you, whether it's to work or home. And you were meant to go somewhere else, but somehow you've ended up in the wrong place. Because what happened? Your autopilot was on. You just went there. Because you do the same, the, anything that you do over a repeated period of time uh, eventually becomes sort of unconscious activity for us and we just sort of do it. <clears throat> and I was thinking about the fact that um, maybe that's the case for many people when it, comes to, when it comes to religion. That religion is actually built on a religion of any kind, whatever it is. Um, sort of learning the rules of engagement, whatever they are. And, and for some of us, we were taught those things when we were young. Uh, whatever you do, stand, sit, kneel, pray, show up at this place, give this much, this is how, and and then all these things will happen, God will bless you, and and that, and you just learn the behaviors. And once you learn the behaviors, you just do them. You don't actually have to think about it anymore. In fact, you know, thinking maybe have been discouraged. Maybe uh, when you were growing up and your, whatever your religious tradition was, and you started to maybe ask, you know, that, that uh, annoying question that young people ask, but they should, which we don't, as adults, ask as much as we should, which is why. You know, why? And maybe your parents just said, well, that's the way we do it. Which, in other words, is, well, that's just the autopilot. Don't ask why. This is how we do it. Or maybe you asked uh, a religious cleric or a, a pastor or a preacher or whatever was in your, uh, your faith background. Well, why do we do these things? And basically the answer, at least that you felt you got, was, well, that's just what we do. And don't, don't rock the boat. Don't think too much about it. Just do it. That's how religion, it operates on the autopilot. And it actually works well for religion. It works terribly for relationships. So just a little bit of love 101. Don't try the autopilot at home or on a first date. You know, guys, your, your wife or your girlfriend doesn't want the same card from you every occasion with the same cover and the same words. And some of you are like, well, I could just, you know, it was, it was the, the bulk, the buy and bulk deal was too good to resist. Some of you guys are like, what's a card? <laughs> uh, it doesn't work well, right? Imagine your first date that you, you know, you, you managed to, to hit it right with the right restaurant and, and it happens to be food you both like and conversation just sort of easily sort of meanders on and you find out you knew people both from the same town growing up and have the same sense of humor. You told a couple of jokes. They were well received and, and then sort of the night, you know, closed perfectly, not too intense, but not too sort of casual. You said the right thing at the door, whatever it was. Um, and, and off you went, date number one, successful. But if you try the same thing for date number two, same restaurant, same conversations, same little jokes that you try in the same closing line, well, it's not good. Why? Because the autopilot doesn't work for relationships. Works well for religion. It doesn't work for relationships at all. Why? Because we want an authentic experience. We want something that... Um, even if you're a personality that doesn't like change, you don't want sort of automated relationships. You want things that are kind of growing, alive, vital, maybe a little bit unpredictable. Maybe you're not sure where it's going yet. That's what relationships are. It's real. And, and in fact, we live um, in, a, in a culture in an age that is perhaps more obsessed with authenticity than we have ever been. 
And perhaps we can explain that historically, how we've come out of uh, a period in life over the last few hundred years where we feel like um, anything big, anything institutional, anything established or routinized has failed us. And so we reject anything that seems to sort of be formulaic at all. And we want to know, is this real? And we want to marry for love. And we want to know that the values of our company and what they say or what the plaques on the wall say is what is reality in life. And we want to know that. I think that's a good thing. If you think about the movies and the stories that we're writing, many of them, whether it's the Hunger Games or um, the, I think it's called Elysium, the one that Matt Damon was in recently, it's all about this as sort of what the Borg or what this sort of the form or the power of those that control things to be the way they are and that if we're really going to seek freedom, we have to throw those things off because they're not authentic, they're fake or they're controlling. Well, now, whatever your religious background is, whether perhaps you have shelved religion or God or for a period of time rejected altogether or just put it away for a number of years and maybe you're just recently coming back to figure out whether this is real or not. Maybe the reason you shelved it was because it didn't seem real to you. It seemed inauthentic. It seemed a, a lack of thinking and a lack of what is reality. Or maybe you have actually um, been in the church and been pursuing a real relationship with God, but you might find, hey, maybe some things have become autopilot for me. The good news for us is that as we come to the word of God, uh, and, which is the heart of what the Christian faith is based on is, is God's word, which reveals to us Jesus. We find that it's nothing at all uh, about the autopilot. It's not automated at all. And the reason I say that is because if the Bible was automated, it would be arranged with a table of contents. Chapter one, how to address God properly. <laughs> Chapter two, what to wear when you pray. I'm just using British accent because that's all the Jesus movies are that way. <laughs> That's what the Bible would be like if this was about the autopilot. How do you do this? Tell me the rules. Just tell me how it goes. And actually, some of us were even taught the Bible that way, that it's a, that it's a rule book for life, that we can look up things in the concordance or the front, find out what we're supposed to do, and just make sure we're doing it right. Learn the rules of engagement, and then you can turn your brain off and just do it, and you'll get whatever got it. But that's actually not what the story of Scripture is at all. In fact, the opening pages of the Bible tell us, it's one, you know, when I read the first two chapters of the Bible, in a sense, the first two chapters alone uh, authenticate the story and say that this is true. Why? Because it tells us the thing that all of us intuitively know is that we were made for a relationship. We were made for real encounter with other people. A worldview that says that we were made from nothing, that we come from nothing, going to nothing, cannot explain the insatiable desire that every one of us has to love and be loved. It cannot explain that. It cannot simply be a crashing atoms and chemicals within me that is producing feelings that actually aren't real. We all know if you were to say what's the most real thing in your life, you would not point to your job, you would not point to your house, you would not point to food, you would say love. Even if you're really cynical and you have been jaded by it, why are you so jaded by it? Because it's so real, it affected you. And the opening pages of scripture tell us you were made for love. You were actually made out of love, that it tells us that, that God and the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were so delighted with one another that it overflowed in the creation of the world and that we were made as human beings to crave relationship and to find it in God, but not in this kind of spiritual, ethereal, non-material sense, but we were also created to have relationship with one another in physical relationships. And that that is an expression of God in the world is the fact that we, we crave love and to, to, be, to be loved and to show it. 
And so the scriptures actually tell us that <clears throat> the whole world was based on real, on relationship, not on the autopilot at all. And what's interesting, if you read chapter 3 of the story, <clears throat> it tells us that when sin came into the world, that one of the, the, the most devastating effect of sin was that it fractured relationship. It introduced conflict into what was meant to be perfection. And perfection between us and God and us and each other now was fractured because of sin. And so now the, the dominant attitude that human beings have towards their God who loves them and made them is, maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe he doesn't have what's best in, in plan for me. Maybe I better keep him at arm's length or maybe I better do life without him at all. That has actually fractured what was meant to be a perfect dependent relationship of trust where we know that God loves us and we receive his love and we love him in, re in return. It also fractured the relationship between human beings that while we were meant to live in, in harmonious love relationships with one another, husband and wife, um, brother and sister, parent and child, that what you actually see in the, as, as sin begins to seep its way into all of humanity, it wrecks every relationship and you find conflict of every kind. If nothing else, the Bible tells us at least, well, this is a book I can relate to. This is what life is about. Relational conflict. All of us are familiar with that in some shape or form. <clears throat> what you will then find as you continue to read the story is that the autopilot religion could not repair the relational fragmentation. That God established a set of laws for his people. Now, they were not meant to be autopilot regulations. They were meant to help them love him and love him in return, but they treated them like the autopilot. Well, they just have to do these things. And he was like, no, 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 you've missed the whole point. And what you start to realize as you read the first part of the, of the Bible, the Old Testament, is that the autopilot just seems to take over. And it is so woefully ineffective, unable to mend the brokenness that we find in our lives with each other and with God. It cannot bring us back to what we were meant to be, which is in a perfect love relationship with God and with one another. Which is why when Jesus comes, and we've called Jesus in our story, the point of the story, the rescue, to realize that we have been rescued for relationship. And if you understand what Jesus was doing, and you read the, one of the, he said there's four biographies in the Bible, and one of them we're going through right now is told from uh, the writer Luke, that Jesus is constantly rescuing his disciples and his followers and his listeners and us too from the jaws and a sense of religion and saying, you know, you were made for relationship. You have to see God and this whole thing in a completely different way. And the passage we're gonna look at today is one of prayer. And actually, this is one of those passages that we can read together without ever having it on the screen. And so before I actually read it for you, let's just, we'll just read it together. And if you know the words, if you've half forgotten, you'll pick them up. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what did you just say? Some of you, the autopilot just took over. You don't know what you said. You just prayed it because you know it, because you learned it, many of you. And yet, prayer is actually not, I don't know if you've had this experience before, but if I ever mentioned prayer to someone who doesn't consider themselves religious, they'll say, oh, I don't pray, I'm not really religious. 
Well, prayer is actually not for those who are into religion. Prayer is for those who are into relationship, which is actually all of us then. Prayer is actually something given to us for all of us, the means of reconnecting in relationship with the one that we were made to know and love. So I want to read this passage for you. It's up there on the screen from Luke chapter 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is God's word. See, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, some of them, well, all of them would have been ra- or were raised as Jews. Some of them would have still been sort of devout Jews. They would have already had prayers that they had memorized. They would have already had prayers that they could have prayed. What were they saying to him? Jesus, teach us how to talk to God. Hey, you know God. You, you have this relationship with him. Can you teach us? to have a relationship with God too, that he wasn't teaching them a prayer to simply be memorized and said whenever we feel afraid or we need absolution from our sins. I don't think Jesus was teaching them this prayer to simply be said off the top of their head to turn into the autopilot. That just doesn't seem to be who Jesus was. And they already had enough prayers that they would have known by memory. He was teaching them how to talk to God. And in this prayer, I believe is a way for us, and maybe many of you have never ever prayed before. Maybe you've only prayed a couple of times. Maybe prayer is a struggle for you, or maybe, which is true, I think for all of us, there will go through, you'll go through times in your life where you don't have the words to say what you need to say. And Jesus gives his disciples this prayer and says, when you talk to God, say this. And I want to walk us through this prayer with the hopes that this will be recaptured for you. For some of you, maybe you've been saying it your whole life, that in a sense it will be totally new for you. And for some of you that said, well, I don't even know how to pray, where would I start? That you will have by the end of today a prayer that you can pray, okay, when I don't know what else to say, this is what I'm gonna say. And this is how Jesus begins. Father, he says, when you pray, say, Father. Of all the names Jesus could have chosen to give his disciples to address God. He uses the word Father. Now, there are hundreds of names, of the names of God in the Old Testament. And these guys would have known 
all of them. There were some names that were even so holy, the name Yahweh had no vowels in it. They, they could, because they weren't meant to pronounce it. It was so holy, that was one of God's names they, they weren't even meant to use. And there was all these other names, God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies, God the creator. So many different ways they could have addressed God. And Jesus says, when you come to God, call him Father. What does that mean? What was he saying to them when you come to God in prayer to call God Father? Yes, he is creator. Yes, he is the Lord Almighty. Yes, he is the Lord of heaven's armies. Yes, he is the Lord of hosts. But to you, first and foremost, he is Father. It is a name that in a sense binds God to you. Only my children call me father. They don't call me father, but dad. And in Aramaic, the word actually is, is, is Abba, which is daddy. Probably best translation is daddy. That, that was the language. In Greek, it's pater, which is father. That was the word that Jesus used. Only my children call me father. And Jesus was saying, understand your posture, your relationship with God in prayer is one of a child who comes to his father. And what is a father? A father is a protector, a provider, a stronghold, safety, secure. A father is wise, provides guidance, rescues in trouble. Jesus says, remember the one to whom you're praying. This is not God in heaven who will smite you if you do something wrong. This is not God in heaven so busy running the world that he doesn't have time for your cares. He is daddy. He is father. I don't know about you, but my children have no problem asking me for anything. Incessantly. For ridiculous things. For whatever they need. It's the thing we lose as adults as we grow up that they intuitively understand as children. Now I get, for some of you, that word to call God Father may be a very foreign thing for you. Maybe the picture that you have had of God or that those who taught you to know God gave you was, yes, creator, strong, powerful, up there, but not here. Not someone whose knee you could crawl up and sit on. Not someone who you could yank at their shirt, even when they're having another conversation, until they look at you. Jesus says, that's who God is. I know for some of you, you would say, sure, that's what an ideal father is, but that, the word father is a bad word in my life. That's not what I had. Either because he was absent or he was the opposite of what you just said a father is supposed to do. And so understand, that's gonna be difficult for you as you come to prayer. But Jesus says, listen, all of us know intuitively what a father is supposed to be. And this is God in heaven. He is your father. He is safe, strong, provider. He is the one you call when you are distressed or lost or confused. He is the one who no matter what pit you've gotten yourself into is supposed to rescue you. Nobody else on earth, in a sense, has responsibility to pull you out of the pits that you got yourself into except daddy because that's my son, that's my daughter. I'll never not be that way to them. Jesus says, that's who God is when you pray. It's the first line of the prayer that we just, our Father who art in heaven, on we go. Jesus says, no, when you pray, remember he is Father. More than anything else, to you, 
He is Father. Then he says, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What does that mean, hallowed be thy name? A better translation would be, may your name be kept holy. What is holy? We just sang this morning, holy, holy, holy. What is holy? Holy means completely separate and completely above. It means that God is not anything, in a sense, like us. Yes, there are things in us that are like him. Anything good in us is from him, but he is ultimate purity, ultimate goodness, ultimate strength, ultimate justice, ultimate love. He defines all of these things that we see glimpses of on the earth. He is holy. He is nothing like, in a sense, anyone else. We are like him, but he is not like anyone else. When we say, hallowed be your name, we say, God, you are the one like there is no other. First you are Father, but now how amazing for me to say that my Father is not like anyone else. He is holy. You are above it all. You sit over all things. You see all things. Everything good that I see in the world comes from you. You are ultimate reality. And may that always be the case. Hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. That's who I'm praying to, the holy God, the one who sees everything, the one who is ultimately good. How would that change the way we pray? Because sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, that I come into prayer, I don't want to pray, or I'm, I'm driven to prayer by frustration about the way things are. To come to a God that we can't, you know, we remember Jesus says, don't charge him with wrongdoing. He is holy. He knows everything. He sees everything. Anything that is good in you is because of who he is. And then, may your kingdom come. What does that mean? Would life on earth, and some of the, some of the later manuscripts have as it is in heaven, may your, may your uh, kingdom come as, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just basically saying, God, teach us and make this world a God-led place. More than any government, more than any schooling system, more than any religion or philosophy, your ways, your plans, your kingdom, in other words, the rule and leadership of God is what this world, is what this world needs more than anything else. May your kingdom come. May your life and your ways and your thinking pervade, permeate my life and this world around me. Anything that's wise comes from your kingdom. Anything that's loving, anything that's just, anything that's good policy, anything that's good leadership comes from you. May your kingdom come. When we pray, we come to God and say, ultimately, I have my ways, God, but your ways are best. Bring your ways into my life. Teach me how to live according to the way you think, the way you love, the way you live. Then Jesus says, ask God to give us this day our daily bread. Now the immediate connotation is, you know, the stuff we need, that daily bread, literally food. But that word actually daily, epiusion, it's a Greek word, it's not used anywhere else in all of scripture. It's a bit of a strange reference. We shouldn't immediately assume that what he's talking about is saying, ask God to give you food. Because if you think about the word bread in the life of Jesus, what did Jesus say when Satan said to him, hey, turn these stones into bread? He says, man doesn't live on bread alone. 
but on every word that comes from God. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, ask God for the things that you need most. In fact, we live in a part of the world where actually your daily bread comes from you, right? You have a job, most of us. Most of us don't live one meal every few days and not sure when our daily bread's gonna come from. Most of us can find some way to get at least a couple of meals on the table every day. Jesus was saying, ask God for the things that you need. Now, I don't know about you. You know what I need on a daily basis? Yes, I need food and clothing and shelter, and I'm so thankful that God provides that. But there are things that I need that I cannot provide for myself. I cannot give myself peace in times of trouble. I cannot give myself wisdom in times of complexity. I cannot give myself forgiveness in times of sin. I cannot give myself self-control when I don't have control. There are things that I need on a daily basis that I am unable to provide for myself. These are the things that Jesus says, ask the Father to give them to you. Give me on a daily basis the things I need, not just to survive, but to thrive. Because I don't live on bread alone, on a meal alone, or this house. That's not what I need most from you. I can find ways to get that. It's all the other stuff that I cannot give for myself that is a daily need for me. Father, you give it to me. Give us this day our daily bread. And he says, forgive our sins. Forgive our sins. I don't know about you, but I come in to prayer. It says, forgive our sins even as we have forgiven others their sins. I come into prayer oftentimes where I want to talk to God about the things that others have done to me. The things that I carry around with me often are the things that others have done to me or the guilt that I feel about the stuff I've done. And Jesus says, don't carry around guilt about what you've done and don't carry around grudges about what other people have done. Come to God and say, Forgive my sins and help me to forgive other sins. It's a recognition that God is the only sinless one and that what you and I need most is grace. I need grace first and foremost for my sins and then I need to take that grace and if I have truly received it, then I can give it. You cannot forgive another person if you have not received the forgiveness of God. That's how that works, right? You don't forgive other people because you're holding them to a standard. If you're holding them to a standard, then that's the same standard Jesus says by which you will be judged and all of us fail the standards that God has for us. So if we want to live by right and wrong in a, meritoc uh, in a meritocracy, then we're all slipping and falling and judgmental attitudes and all this stuff come into our lives. Jesus says, no, come to the Father and recognize you have sins. The only way that those are going to be absolved is if he forgives you. And when he forgives you, grace comes into your life and when you have grace, you can give it to another person. Forgive us our sins so that we can forgive those who sin against us. That's how it works. Jesus says, remember when you come into prayer, whatever grievances you bring or guilt you bring, leave it and say, Father, forgive me. Free me so I don't have to feel guilty. You're the only one who can let me off the hook because every sin is against you. So forgive me and then give me grace so I can let others off the hook because I realize they're just a sinner like me. We're all in need of grace. And he says, lead us not into temptation. In other words, lead us out of temptation. 
Rescue me. That our prayers when we come to God and say, God, I am in trouble because of me. I am in trouble because of the temptations around me. I am being attacked by the tempter who wants to drag me away in my own sin. And far too often, I'm a willing participant. So rescue me from temptation. Lead me out of it. Lead me into a better way. Don't let me escape to all these addictions and patterns that I have in my life. Don't let me give in to the lies of the way that I think or the temptations around me or the, quite frankly, maybe the influence of people around me that is not positive, that drags me down. Rescue me from temptation. Lead me out of it to where you are. This is the prayer that Jesus says, when you pray, remember God as Father. Remember, your Father is the creator of the heaven and earth. More than anything else, know him as the one to whom you belong. Is your provider, your rescuer, your strength, your safety, your security, your wisdom. Know him as Father, but also remember he's holy. He's not like anyone else. He's not like you, and that's a good thing. He's like no other human being. You need his kingdom to come into your life more than you need him to adopt the plans of your kingdom. Right? That's often our prayers are shaped by God. This is my plans. Can you kind of get behind them? Jesus says, remember, his kingdom come to your life. His will be done in your life. Ask him for daily bread, the things that you cannot provide for yourself, but the things you cannot live without. Give me peace. Give me guidance, give me wisdom. All that you are that I cannot make for myself, it comes from you, so provide me that daily bread. I need to eat and feed on that. Forgive my sins. Help me to remember I'm a sinner just like everyone else who sinned against me. And I need grace and they need grace and it comes from you. And lead me out of the pits that I'm so prone to fall into. This is prayer. May we never pray the Lord's prayer the same again. And if you don't know what else to pray, you don't know what else, other words, walk through this prayer. What's the the deal with what he says after? The passages that come after the Lord's Prayer, we don't often remember that, but he gives this analogy. He's he's trying to uh, link it to the disciples' lives. He says, look, imagine you knocked on the door of someone's house and said, hey, 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 can I have some bread? A friend of mine just showed up and I don't have anything and the grocery store is closed. He's like, the friend's not going to give you something because he likes you. He's just going to be annoyed that you were so bold to bang on his door at midnight. And so he's going to give you bread. Then he says, you're a father. Your son asks you for something. You're not going to give him something rotten. You're going to give him food if you have it. And he says, if that's how you are, and you are sinners, how much more will your heavenly father give to those who are persistent and bold? And that's why he says, ask and seek and knock, and you will receive. Now, some people quote that verse for anything. Oh, well, I need this from God. So God says, ask and you'll receive. Well, I've asked and I'm not receiving. Maybe that's some of our frustration in prayers. Like, I've asked for these things. I'm not not getting it. What does he say? He says, how much more will the Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. God will always answer this prayer. Give me more of you. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes, the scriptures say, to see God as Father. We wouldn't know him as Father unless the Spirit had opened our eyes to see him, that he is the Father. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us pray and helps us see that God is holy. It is the Holy Spirit who comes into our world and into our lives and begins to shape our lives like God's kingdom. It is the Holy Spirit that is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's your daily bread. That's the stuff you can't live without. You need more patience. You need more self-control. You need more love. You need more kindness. You need more gentleness. Don't we want all those things in our lives? It comes from the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who leads us out of temptation, who instructs us, is the voice inside of our head saying, don't do that, don't go there. The Spirit is the one that guides us from the inside, not laws that we're trying to obey externally, but the law inside of our hearts, the voice inside of us that begins to shape our minds and our hearts and teaches us how to think and teaches us how to feel. The end of the Lord's Prayer should always end with, Father, give me the Holy Spirit. And that is a prayer that God will always answer. It is more of him in your life that you need. That's what this whole prayer is. Jesus was ultimately saying to them, the heart of prayer, what you need most in prayer is more of God. And if you ask for more of him, he will answer you. He will give it to you. This is the heart of prayer. Why? Because the whole purpose of prayer is for those who are into relationship. What are you asking for when you ask for more of God? I want to know you more. I want you more in my life. Anything good in my life comes from you, so the more I get of you in my life, the more I'm gonna get where I wanna go in my life. I need you more. Help me see you as Father. Help me see your life, your ways, influencing my ways instead of me trying to get you to buy into my plans. I need you to provide the things I can't get for myself. I need you to forgive my sins and give me grace. I need you to rescue me from temptation. More of you in my life. This week, I was away for a few days uh, with the kids and with some friends for March break, and I came back, and I was supposed to write my sermon Thursday, Friday. And we got back. I had, I would say, probably the most difficult 24 hours I've had in my parenting life. So Jen and I have been parents for 10 years, and almost 10 years, if you count pregnancy. I know I didn't do much during that time, but <clears throat> I was morally supporting. Um, and I'm a feeler, so take these words with a grain of salt. Some of you thinkers are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've, I, felt, I, had, I don't think I can remember a 24-hour period where I felt more discouraged, um, confused, deflated. One of my kids is going through something, and I don't really know how to walk with him through it. I just don't. And I don't have a job where I can go and just sort of shut that off and do some other work. I'm supposed to talk to God. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I, and I don't usually, it takes a lot to get me to that place. I was completely beside myself, to the point that I didn't even want to escape from it. You know, sometimes you go through stuff and you, you escape by maybe you go on a blog or eat some food or drink a coffee. Or nothing. Everything was, felt terrible in my mouth. I didn't want to do anything else. I felt, I, I didn't know what I could do. I felt completely paralyzed, totally hopeless totally confused, emotionally kind of just completely drained. I had nothing. And I came in, I sat down, and I opened this passage. I'm like, God, I don't know how to preach on this. So I just started praying through it. it and I, I didn't have anything else to say. I didn't even want to pray. I wouldn't have been there if I didn't have to be here that day. It was God's blessing to me that he made me read the word. And I just marched my way through that prayer. I had no other words to say. 
And I just began with Father. I said, God, like, I, you're the perfect parent. I am not even close. But you gave this son to me. You know everything. You see everything. So can you just teach me? All wisdom, love, guidance, all that I want to be as a parent comes from you. So you have to guide me. You are also, Father, the one I run to when I'm totally confused, when I have nothing else. Someone bigger than me, stronger than me, someone who's above. I prayed, Father, you are holy. I thank you that you are nothing like me. You are not thrown off by this. You are not confused. You are not on your heels. You are not exhausted. You are holy. You are inexhaustible. You don't ever get tired. You don't ever sleep. You don't ever throw up your hands and say, why did I do this? How did I get into this? Your kingdom come in my life. I can't build my own kingdom. I need your ways. Give me daily bread. I need patience. I need wisdom. I need self-control. I need hope, and I cannot give it to myself. I cannot buy it. I can't find it online. I can't borrow it from someone else. Forgive my sins. You know part of the problem I have is that I'm a sinner and I'm parenting a sinner. And I'm married to a sinner. That's my life. So you have to forgive my sins. And you have to give me grace to forgive those who sin against me. And lead me out of temptation. Don't let me escape this. Don't let me throw up my hands. Don't let me find something else to do. Don't let me you know, fall into sin through this experience. Rescue me because I feel like I'm right on the edge. It's most of that morning I just prayed through that prayer. And I thought, you know, this is why the disciples asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. Give us words when we don't have words because the autopilot, it will fail you at times like that, won't it? It gives you nothing. You need life. I needed him more than anything else. At the end of, the, at the end of it, I said, I just need more of you in my life. I know that. And by the time I was done, nothing had changed, but I had changed. Nothing circumstantially had changed, but I had changed. Because I went to him. And he began to change me through what? My relationship with him. Jesus says, that's what you've been rescued for out of the jaws of religion that can't save you at all or give you anything in your time of need, but that you have a real relationship with a father who loves you, and I'm going to teach you how to talk to him. So here's what I've done. On the back of your bulletin, I just kind of wrote out sort of what I prayed that morning. What I want to do is just read it, read through it for you. And as you're sitting there reading, it'll be up on the screen too. Maybe there's just one or two lines that really grab you, that that give you words this morning for stuff that you need words for. And what I want you to do is don't just read it. As as those words lock in, when I'm done reading it, I'm just going to give you a few moments of quietness to just pray to God these words. Whatever section, maybe the whole thing, or maybe there's just one section this morning that maybe you were like me or dealing with something that you just needed words. And so I'm going to pray, and as those grab you, just wait, and by the time we're done the prayer, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just close your eyes and pray to God yourself because he is your Father too. Father, 
You know how to love and guide and protect me. You care about me, even the things that are small and hidden. You are strong, dependable, caring, and faithful, the best father in the world. You are able to pick me up and rescue me from despair. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. My life and my circumstances are not hidden from you. They are not beyond your control. You do not feel hopeless or helpless. You knew this all along before I ever got into it. You are completely loving, good, powerful, righteous, and wise. What I need most is for the values and plans and ways of your kingdom to be built into my life. Teach me how to live life the way you intended. Give us our daily bread. You have the power to provide for me all the things I need. I am totally dependent on you, not just for physical bread, but for the things I cannot give myself. Peace, wisdom, patience, self-control, guidance, and hope. I cannot make these things happen in my life or in my home. It all depends on you, so I must depend on you. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sin against us. You are the one who gives me grace, so I can give grace to others. I'm a sinner, just like the rest of my family and friends. More than anything else, I need your grace to forgive and cover all of my shortcomings. And I need your grace to give to those around me. Lead us not into temptation. You are the one who rescues me from myself, from temptation. You are the only one who can help me stay patient, kind, long-suffering, and self-controlled. Give me the Holy Spirit. What I need more than anything else is your presence, more of you in my life. Thank you that you will give me the Holy Spirit because you, God, are good. Just take a moment and pray back to him silently in your heart, whatever section you feel has given you the words to pray. Amen. I'd encourage you to take this this week and do this and pray for the same reason that I said, is that what we need more than the circumstances in our lives to change is that we need to change. And when we pray, we start to change right away. That I am a different person going back into the situation that I was praying about. So regardless what God may do or not do in your circumstances, that as you pray, you are being changed into the one that is different as you go back into the things that you were praying about. Please stand uh, for the benediction. <clears throat> I think of all the things that I, that I would want to bless you with that was really, that, that settled my heart this week in a time of real sort of upheaval, that the word, the one word that sticks out to me from this prayer that Jesus taught us is Father. And I just want to bless those of you that have maybe had uh, um, maybe a poor reflection of what a father is supposed to be like. Let's just be honest that some of us have. Or maybe just a father who wasn't involved in your life at all. I just want to bless you with a, a fresh encounter with your father God. who Not only will heal some of those hurts, but makes up all that is lacking in our human relationships. And maybe for those of you that have never just seen God as father, that more than anything else, more than creator and the powerful king and the Lord Almighty, that you would know him as the one that you can pull on his shirt, that you can jump up on his lap, that you can run to him for whatever you need, that that would begin to change the way that you see 
God. If that happens, then what we just sang will be true. We will be forever changed by his love. So would you receive that blessing this morning? Amen. Thanks so much for coming. We'll see you at the 30-minute party. God bless.